Hey, listeners of the Bio Report. Before we get started this week, I wanted to tell you about the digital library from Deep Dive. How much time does your team spend looking for research papers? Google, PubMed, social media. There's got to be a better way. You can now search a reference database of 100 million scientific papers and read the full text of 20 million articles, annotate them, and share with colleagues. It's the smarter way to do research. Here's the best part. If you're like me and been frustrated by not being able to access articles you find because they're behind a paywall, I've got good news. With Deep Dive, you get one-stop affordable research. If you're a listener of the BioReport, you can try the enterprise version of the service for free for one month. Go to deepdive.com forward slash podcast and enter the code BIOREPORT. That's deepdive, D-E-E-P-D-Y-V-E dot com forward slash podcast. And the code is BIOREPORT, one word, all caps. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. When variants of the COVID-19 virus emerged in late 2020, it raised concerns about whether people already infected with the original virus or vaccinated against it would be able to generate a protective immune response that would confer protection against these new strains. Researchers at the National Institutes of Health's National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and John Hopkins University recently reported encouraging findings from a study that took a detailed look at the antibodies in the blood from COVID-19 patients. To do this, they used a deep immunomics technology platform developed by Immunoscape. We spoke to Brian Abel, Senior Director of Business Development at Immunoscape and lead of the company's COVID-19 vaccine task force, about the COVID-19 study, the company's technology, and how it's being used to develop the next generation of immunotherapies. Brian, thanks for joining us. Danny, thanks for having me on your podcast. We're going to talk about Immunoscape, its deep immunomics technology platform, and a recent study that used the technology to determine whether people exposed to COVID-19 have developed protective immune responses to new strains of the virus that have emerged. Perhaps we can begin with a a fundamental question. How well is the immune system understood today? So, Danny, it's a question that would really require a very long, comprehensive answer. But um, I think we're unraveling a lot of the complexity of the immune system as new cutting-edge tools and analytics are evolving. However, we we certainly have a long way to go. Um, It's something that's becoming more evident as we're looking at real-life examples, such as immunity to COVID-19, which we'll be discussing today, and how diverse responses are to the infection. 
you find that some people, you know, don't even know they're infected and they're asymptomatic, whereas others may get really sick and, and some even succumb to the disease. So, you know, I really think um, during this pandemic, there are a lot of buzz, buzzwords that are going around. And I think people have become a lot more familiar with concepts like B cells and antibodies and T cells. And um, yeah, but we certainly have a long way to go still to deepen well, this understanding. As we take a deeper look at the immune system, are we uncovering new layers of complexity that we didn't consider previously? Absolutely. I mean, I think as, as mentioned, you know, with some of these cutting edge technologies, we're starting to split, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, um, the, the sort of um, concepts and, and aspects, like I mentioned, antibodies and T cells and B cells. And we can now really look at sort of subpopulations and understand more about what each of them is doing and how, ideally how these are correlating with outcomes. So I think um, also the way we're now able to look at single cell um, technologies and, and not only look at, at the genomics, but other aspects, we're also finding out an enormous amount about um, biology and immunology. What problem is Immunoscape addressing? What can people do with your platform that they couldn't do before? Or what can they do better? So you've already alluded to the to the fact that immune, that Immunoscape is an immunomics uh, biotech company. We use cutting edge technologies to really look at the immune system on a single cell level. Um, we use a number of uh, technologies, and our core competency we call mass cytometry or CYTOF for short. And we combine this with something called barcoded peptide MHC tetramacomplexes which allows us to screen literally hundreds of CD8 T cell antigen specificities in a, a single sample, which may contain millions of cells. So from the screening, we're able to actually identify the needles in the haystack, specifically what T cells are actually seeing from a virus like SARS-CoV-2, or as an example, what tumor antigens are being targeted you know, by a patient's own response. Um, I think importantly, in addition to knowing what these T cells are identifying, we can also ask what are the properties of these T cells? Um, you know, important questions like are they activated? Are they exhausted? Are they proliferating? Or even where are they likely to go into the body? And when you combine all of this rich data, it can generate a lot of, a lot of important insights and answer questions like, you know, can we stratify patients better for treatment? Or um, are we able to identify, you know, novel pathways? And taking a, a single cell look, how varied are the T cell responses in an individual patient from cell to cell? So they're very different. I mean, you know, we have the capability to respond to lit literally, you know, hundreds of millions of different patterns. And these patterns are actually sort of, we call peptides, a little fragments or pieces of, of proteins that come from foreign things like viruses or tumors, um, as an example. Um, so we have an enormous array of, of, um, of sort of what we call antigens that we can respond to. And then um, these can also go in a number of different directions. Um, so not only is it important for us to look at the actual magnitude of these responses, but the so-called quality can differ or the phenotype, um, how those T cells may behave and also are they likely to be protective and maybe um, 
provide long-term protection as an example. And, and um, we're starting to really understand this better on a single cell level, but we still have a long way to go. And how comprehensive a view of the immune system does ImmunEscape's platform provide? Is it looking only at T cells or do you get a, a full range of cell types? Yep. It's, it's, a, it's a very uh, relevant question. So, you know, as I've mentioned before, we, we look very deeply at T cells, um, really with a focus on CD8 T cells, but we can really customize and design our panels so we can focus on other cells of the immune system to include things like B cells, dendritic cells, natural killer cells, monocytes, and, and whatever is required. Um, just to give you an idea of, of, of the granularity, um, we can look at a, approximately 46 protein markers um, in one shot, so on or inside a cell, um, or we can screen hundreds of different antigens, so what the T cells are recognizing, in combination with about 30 or 35 markers. So this really allows us to capture a lot of information. Um, Danny, one other thing I'd like to mention is we have developed another proprietary assay in-house, which we call Ultrascape. And this enables us to look at up to 120 channels in a single sample. So this really lets you look sort of at very, very widely at the immune landscape and capture a lot of uh, critical information not only T cells, but a lot of the other immune cells that I mentioned. As we've seen the emergence of immunotherapies to treat cancer and other conditions, what role could your technology play with regards to the next generation of these therapies? So I think uh, on one hand, um, we're really able to provide insights to guide these immunotherapies by assessing clinical trial patient samples before and after immunotherapy treatment to see whether we can identify biomarkers of responsiveness. Um, ideally, if one is able to validate these so-called biomarker signatures, these can be utilized to stratify patients on the appropriate treatment to see that one can achieve you know, the optimum outcomes. On the other hand, I'd say that we can potentially identify pathways that differ between responders and non-responders. And these are insights that we can actually use to develop um, new targeted interventions or possibly combine therapies in a more effective way. Um, and Danny, a, a final thing I'd mention is we can also use our platform to compare different arms of clinical trials um, to gather immunological data. And you know, this can give you information like quantity and quality of the induced response and, and, and how to prioritize candidates to move forward. I think of this as, as largely being used as a drug development tool today, but what is the clinical value and what role could the technology play in it advancing uh, an era of precision medicine? Yep, um, that's a key question. Um, you know, as I've already mentioned, you know, we're, we're able to generate insights about patients' immune responses as they evolve or don't um, before and after treatment. We can also design our analytical strategy to focus on personalized immune responses to cancer treatment, as an example. Um, you know, checkpoint blockade therapy, such as anti-PD-1 treatment, is something that's really, you know, exciting, yielding exciting um, results in some cancer indications. And we're able to use our technology platform to identify what anti-tumor T-cell responses, including 
the personalized neoantigens, which are specific to a patient, may be switched on during treatment to improve clinical outcomes and also understand what are the characteristics of these T cells. Um, ultimately, this can really guide better patient stratifications. Um, and if these are detected at baseline pretreatment, uh, you know, that would be the, the best scenario. The company has a number of partnerships, both in oncology and in infectious disease. What's the partnering strategy? What's the, the nature of the partnerships you seek? And, and how do you leverage those relationships? Yeah. Um, so initially, you know, Munoscape as a, as a biotech startup company used a service um, model, which we used to build relationships uh, with big pharma, biotech and academia. And also initially to, to demonstrate a proof of concept for our technology platform. But now we're um, pivoting towards partnering with companies where, um, you know, we're moving towards sharing data, intellectual property generated, and also upsides of the project. But as you can imagine, this can really differ depending on, on the nature of the partnership and, and, the, and the person you're dealing with. Um, in terms of, you know, some examples, you know, we've worked with companies like Gilead and Genentech on a number of projects, a number of undisclosed partners. And um, academically, we, we recently worked with Johns Hopkins and NIAD on several COVID-19 studies that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, in terms of leveraging, um, I think that, you know, there's the possibility of gaining exposure for both parties through publications and press releases and podcasts like, like we're having today, but we can also gain more street credibility as we work with these companies and generate clinically relevant outcomes for key partners. Well, we recently had a, a paper published in the journal Open Forum Infectious Disease where researchers made use of the technology. I, I think this offers an example of a practical application. What were the researchers seeking to determine? This was actually the second study that we, we did with Johns Hopkins University and NIAID. Um, so if you don't mind, you know, perhaps I can provide you a little background to the first study, which will, will kind of frame it. Um, so the first study was actually published in the Journal of Clinical Investigation. Um, and this involved deep profiling of CD8 T cell responses in COVID-19 recovered donors who had mostly mild COVID symptoms. Johns Hopkins had actually taken these individuals' plasmas and they'd assessed them for neutralizing antibody responses um, and looked at many aspects of the antibody response um, to SARS-CoV-2. And what we aimed to do at Immunoscape was to assess in parallel what the T cell responses looked like in these recovered people. So to do this, what we actually did is we first predicted which candidate antigens from the virus, from SARS-CoV-2, were likely to bind to the patient's HLA alleles. And these numbered 408 candidate antigens in total across six different HLA alleles. These antigens were screened using the technology I mentioned before. Um, and we identified what SARS-CoV-2 antigens were being recognized by the donor CD8 T cells and the properties of those cells. Um, you know, to give you some, some take-home messages here, we identified CA T cell responses really targeting diverse proteins um, across the virus and not only the relevant spike protein, which you know everyone is talking about is in, and, and is incorporated in the vaccine, 
but also other structural proteins like nucleocapsid and non-structural proteins. And I think, you know, the important uh, um, crux of this, we could really reliably detect responses in almost all of the 30 donors. Um, and 52 responses, unique hits were detected and 18 were actually unreported. Um, and finally, the phenotypes or characteristics of these T cells um, resemble, resembled uh, stem cell and transitional memory subsets, which we believe is a hallmark of durability and, and is something you'd want to induce in a, in a sort of long-term protective capacity. Um, so to get to the second study, just in a, a very brief sentence, um, the one that was just published in OFID, um, the focus of this study was actually on emerging variant strains. So, you know, including the South African, the Brazilian and the UK SARS-CoV-2 variants. And the question was whether the CD8 T cell responses we had previously detected in the recovered patients would still recognize the same targets in the variants. Does it suggest anything about design of future vaccines against COVID and its variants? It was certainly a very, um, uh, some very interesting findings. I think we um, firstly saw that natural infection um, actually triggers um, a multivalent response in recovered people, meaning that their T cell responses really target several different proteins, not just spike. Um, this would really be important for a broader protection that could offer potential immunity against variants since spike is actually the region which is mostly under immunological pressure. And so that's the one that's undergoing the most changes. Um, I think, you know, we and others believe that a, a next generation multivalent vaccine targeting several proteins may offer better protection in general and also against variants because you're targeting many more different regions beyond spike. Um, you know, at the moment, th there are a few next generation candidate vaccines which are undergoing clinical trial testing. And uh, we'll see in the future how they actually perform. One of these we're actually reaching out to at the moment to see whether we can help them generate information which would sort of, um, you know, add to their story. Our second study really indicated that T cell responses that we assessed targeted what we call conserved epitopes. So they didn't change in the variants, meaning that they, sh they should still be recognized um, by the T cell responses. Um, and this is, you know, really promising, but, you know, as a, as a sort of disclaimer, you know, of course, it's a small study of 30 individuals um, from a region, you know, um, within the U.S. and also looking at six HLA alleles. So it's always important to do to, to larger studies, you know, generate more information so it becomes a more generalizable result. I should note that as we were preparing to talk this morning, there was news that the company had raised $14 million through a venture financing. Where does this money take you? How far will you be able to go with it? And what, what are you planning to do? Yep. So, so this is something, as you can imagine, is under um, a serious discussion at the moment. A lot of this is going to go towards growing the team because, you know, we, we certainly have a lot of work We've been chatting about um, COVID-19 work here, but um, probably three quarters of our work is actually focused on oncology and, and cancer immunotherapy in, in different directions. So we really need to build the team to address all of these different areas and um, also to do tech development because, you know, it's important that one is continually innovating, 
developing new technologies and staying at the forefront. Um, so those are certainly areas. And another um, area we're moving into is, is drug discovery. So um, this is an, an area that's going to require, we're already building some of those tools, but it's going to require more tech development. And so a lot of, a lot of this um, funding is going towards building a team and developing new technologies so we can um, be relevant in this space and, and, and actually uh, create more opportunities. And is the expectation that you would become more active in that area, potentially even taking your own drugs forward? That, yeah, that would be the, uh, the, the ultimate aim would be, you know, instead of supporting um, drug development companies like we're doing at the moment, um, discovering new assets. And these can take the shapes of, you know, novel targets, you know, protein targets that can be uh, recognized by, you know, therapeutic antibodies or identifying novel T-cell receptors, um, which can be relevant to, to um, cancer, as an example, and can either be used um, uh, in cell therapies or in, in some other modalities. So we're certainly looking at, um, you know, developing our own assets and then, and then kind of uh, moving forward with those. As you look down the road and think about the technology, where do you think the greatest value is going to be for applying this technology? You know, as already sort of mentioned, um, there's an enormous amount of excitement in the cancer and cancer immunotherapy space. So this is a domain that we're really working um, quite a lot in already and hoping to to build more partnerships and also develop our own um, assets. So these would be areas like checkpoint blockade, um, cell therapy, um, uh, T-cell engages. Um, you know, I think we, you know, as I've already mentioned, we can really look at more specificities and, and, and really more deeply um, than, than most people, you know, shared tumor antigens, but also in a personalized uh, fashion looking at neoantigens. So I think this has really got a lot of potential and, and an area we're going to focus on. Um, Additionally, you know, we're, we're still very much um, working in COVID-19 and um, we have a lot of interest uh, and we're working a lot in other infectious disease uh, as well. So I could also see a lot of potential work in, in other emerging infectious diseases as well. Brian Abel, Senior Director of Business Development at Immunescape. Brian, thanks so much for your time today. Danny, thank you very much as well. And thanks for the opportunity to speak about Immunescape and our work. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.